You know, we're learning all kinds of new words here today. Mountain boarding. My wife and I live in the, in, in the Front Royal area, in the Shenandoah Valley, and I've never heard of mountain boarding before. But all I know is that, you know, uh, you know Jared says it sounds exciting. All I know is that at my age, it just sounds dangerous, right. period. You know, I'm more thinking about, you know, I could wind up in the doctors doing something like this, but mountain boarding. So a new, a new term that... You know, we, we, we've learned here today, but there's another new word that I want to give you, and this will be a day of learning new words. The word listicle, listicle, L-I-S-T-I-C-L-E. Now, I did not know this word until last week, but it happens to be uh, a new word that has cropped up in literature now of these articles that invariably have the lists. You seen these articles? Six ways to happiness. You know these, seven, seven keys to brighter teeth, five steps to, to hair growth. I mean, you, so you, you have these articles that have the list that if you, will, if you will work this list and you will work it faithfully, then you will get the net result of the promise in the listicle. So there's a new word for you today. Pastor Brett, over the past few weeks, has done a truly masterful job of unpacking the Ten Commandments. And if you've not been here for that series, uh, let me encourage you, get online, get online quickly, and listen. Some very, very remarkable insight into this. But you know, I began to ponder these Ten Commandments. They're like scriptural listicles. Never mind, I thought it was cute, but you don't like it. But you know, all of, all of God's laws and all of God's lists, they're good because they come from God. All of God's, they're, they're all good. And we see these commandments, and then as God began to establish himself and began to communicate more with his people Israel, we find these Ten Commandments beginning to morph until we finally have what's known as the law, which finally wound up being about 613 specific points of things that we're supposed to know and obey. Imagine that. We're not talking about trying to keep up with 10 now. We're talking about keeping up with 613. That's a lot to know. And yet it says over in the book of James chapter 2 verse 10, it says whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of done before I get started. It's just like, wait a minute, you mean I had trouble with number 497 and now you're holding me guilty or accountable for having broken all 613? I'm just reading the Bible to you here. And the questions quickly ensue when you've got law and rules to live by, which ones? Which are the most important ones? Put them in priority order for me. And these questions arose very, very quickly in the early church and with the disciples. We look in Acts chapter 15, what is known as the Council at Jerusalem, trying to figure out of all of these points of the law, what's, what's going to be left? Acts 15, beginning in verse 5, it says, Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met to consider this, and they said, after much discussion, 
Peter got up. He said, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them. How? Not by observing the law, but this is how he accepted them. By giving the Holy Spirit to them as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now, he does come back a little bit later, and he reduces or basically gives them four specific things by which to live. But in many ways, they're not that consequential. The real issue here was that God has affirmed the Gentiles, not by their adherence to the law, but by the presence of the Holy Spirit that's now been given to them. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus, having silenced the Sadducees, one of the Pharisaical teachers got up, an expert in the law, and asked this question, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, the second likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself, and the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus had a way of answering more than was asked. Obviously, the, the genesis or the motivation behind the question from this, this key teacher was to try to trick Jesus into somehow establishing an order or a priority when what Jesus did is that Jesus, as he many times did, he answered a lot more than was being asked. He said, if you do these things, then you will include everything that's in the law and the prophets. And then the disciples try to pin him down. John 6 They asked the disciples, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So the the, the issue of the challenge, if you wish, of all of these rules, all of these laws, we know they're from God, we know they're good, we know if we do them, we'll be blessed, we know if we don't don't do them, there'll be something less than blessing. But it begs the big question... For you and for me, how do I keep these laws? I mean, just say no. Remember that one? Some drug czar came up with this, you know, some time ago. The the answer to the drug problem, just say no. Could I submit to you, that might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. You don't even say no when you roll past the Starbucks. Any more than I say no when I roll past the Krispy Kreme and the big red sign's on. Just say no. The problem is because you and I are made out of the same stuff that Paul wrote about himself, lamenting in Romans chapter 7, which we'll talk about in a moment, is that we have these things that are constantly at war within ourselves that we might know we should do a certain thing, and yet the reality of doing that thing is what? It's a little bit different, is it not? Come on. I mean, I know that, you know, the first donut and then the second one, and you know what I'm talking about. And then, you know, you try to put your good clothes on on Sunday and your pants are tight and you wonder what happened. Why do the cleaners keep shrinking my suits? I mean, so how do I keep these laws? First, by understanding something primary as it regards righteousness, that Christ has already done it. Here's your big word for the day. So you've got now, uh, what is it? Mountain boarding, listicles, justification. And that word does not mean whatever your Sunday school class back in the day said, just as if you've never sinned. That's not what it means. You did it. You're wrong. However, 
Justification means that God has already done for you as it regards eternal righteousness what you could never do for yourself. In other words, God has stamped your application approved. That you are accepted in the beloved and you can add nothing else to that statement. Period. It's not Jesus and, it's Jesus period. That's the end of it. And this is how it's, it's, it's stated in Scripture, Matthew 5, 17. The words of Jesus, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Christ is the end of the law, that there may be righteousness for everyone who does what? Believes. So for you and for me, the law has its fulfillment Right in righteousness as it involves Christ. You and I today in a heavenly court, you and, I, you and me are good. Isn't that good? But now, what about the donut problem today? What does it look like as that righteousness now tries to find expression in your life and in my life coming through this thing called flesh? This thing called the sin nature here is the conflict because the daily outworking of that righteousness is called sanctification. There's your other big word for the day, sanctification. Let me give you Jim's definition, real simple one, because I'm a simple guy. Sanctification, being less like you and more like Christ. Bang, there it is. That's all you got to know is that there's less of you and more of Jesus. And that will be an ongoing process. Sanctification comes to an end when you stop breathing. Nobody got that. Meaning, when you're dead. <laughs> Let me just break it down. Oh, not breathing. Oh, okay. When your heart stops. When the doctor says you have expired, your body no longer lives on this planet. When you are dead in this body then you will not need the process of sanctification any longer because when you are with him, you will be like him. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's nothing to perfect once we get outside of these bodies. And so sanctification is something that is unique for our tenure here on the earth. But let me say to you that as long as you and me are here, guess what? God's going to be messing with us. God's going to be tweaking us. God's going to be reaching down and dealing with our motivations and our attitudes and our thoughts. You mean, I thought I got it all cleaned up on the inside, on the outside. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying the F-bomb on the church property anymore. <laughs> and I didn't flip anybody off trying to get in traffic this morning when I was trying to park. I didn't flip anybody off in the parking lot. So I'm feeling strong about my sanctification today, all right? But the mere thought that somehow you're feeling good about you because you didn't do those things, that's still some indication you might have a little work still yet to do in some areas. Turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Nobody really breaks down this struggle more clearly than the apostle Paul. And I love the humanity of Paul because this is not a new believer struggling to kind of break out of a sin pattern. 
The book of Romans is the magnum opus. This is the big theological tome of Paul's life. And we look in the end of chapter 7, and this is a man in agony. All the things that I should do, I don't do. In my mind, I'm at war. The members of my body are at war with my mind. I love God's law, but I mean, it's not coming out. I mean, this is a man in, in complete agony. And again, we're not talking about a novice here. We're talking about Paul. So we, as we go into Romans 8, this is where we get the therefore. After all of this angst and anxiety, therefore, Romans 8, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read a lot of this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because... Through Christ, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sin nature, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sin nature, but... Here's the but. Say, according to the Spirit. Say that. Say it again. According to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sin nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, listen to this, nor can it do so. And those controlled by the sin nature cannot please God. You, however, aren't you glad there's finally a however in all of this? You are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But... If Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Now, I know that's a long passage of Scripture, and we usually on Sundays maybe don't unpack that much of it. But sometimes we need to let the Word just say what the Word says. It doesn't really require any additional commentary. It doesn't even require any real depth of original language. Or you don't have to be a theologian to understand what it's saying here. And it's quite simply, if you live by the Spirit, then the law has been fulfilled in your life and my life. Hence the name of this sermon, Filled and Fulfilled. Galatians says a very similar thing, chapter 5. Paul writing again, I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sin nature. For the sin nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what is contrary to the sin nature. They're in conflict so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let me see if I can say this a slightly different way. God and sin do not dwell together 
in the same place at the same time. Why do I know that? Because God is perfect, he's holy, and he's righteous. Even in that moment when Jesus, as that perfect sacrifice, took on all the sins of the world, in that moment, even the Father turned his back on Jesus because of the sin that Jesus had taken on himself. God cannot even look upon evil. Therefore, there's no way that we can be simultaneously led by the Spirit and then in sin concurrently. Let me explain this a little bit further. I have never had the Holy Spirit say, roll into the Krispy Kreme and get yourself a half a dozen. (laughs) Eat them all. I've never had, I mean, most of the time, When I roll past the Krispy Kreme, I'm not really asking Jesus anything in that moment because I really don't want his counsel about it. All I'm thinking about is the beautiful golden 330-calorie orb that has been perfectly baptized in liquid sugar. There's almost something holy about it if we get the circle representing eternity, the perfection of God, the hole in the... The gold color representing, you know, something of worth. Are you with me? Again, the baptism of sugar, be dunked and be, you know, be baptized. I've got a whole theology around this. It's so deep, God hasn't heard of it yet. But the thing is that most of the time, if, if, if we're really looking to step into something like that, we don't really want God's counsel. Do you realize to purposefully sin, you have to purposefully disfellowship God? Now, think about that for a moment. I mean, you're watching a movie, and it's a little questionable. I mean, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit, through the gift of discernment, has already kind of said, you know, son, you really don't need that. That's going to be messing with your mind later. That's just thoughts that you don't need planted in there that are going to be drawing interest. And we're just like, you know, Jesus, why don't you just be quiet for a moment? I really want to watch this. Arnold's got 38 body count in this thing. I really want to watch some people explode here. And so it's amazing how we can purposefully just kind of shut down the Holy Spirit who's trying to speak to us because we want to have a little moment to ourselves. And we wonder, oh, sin came and got me. No, 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 no. You don't fall into sin. You dig that hole one shovel full at a time. Oh, I just fell in, Pastor. No, you didn't. You stopped listening a long time ago. Because the shepherd that leads me and wants to lead you is not a shepherd that's going to lead us into a hole. Hear me. So at some point, I've had to choke. I've had to make a decision. And most of the time, over a long period of time, to purposely ignore the voice of God. Get immune to his voice so that I can kind of Take off and do what I want to do. Hmm. Guess what? If that's how you want to live your life, you need the law. Are you hearing me? All 613 points of it. You need the law. And yet, God's got a better way that he's designed for you and I to be able to operate. Amen? So then, how does this work? Practically, how do we do this? I'll give you three steps in closing today. The first, we have to be empty. The second, 
filled, third, in order to be fulfilled. Number one, empty. The pattern of Jesus, Philippians chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Another translation I like better says, who emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, humbled himself, becoming obedient even to death on a cross. Here's the picture. Jesus came to us. He said, let me show you how this works. And he poured his divinity out. He poured it all out. And what was left was mankind, just like you and me. But what he chose to do, he chose to be filled with the Spirit. When he was tempted before he went into ministry, Jesus, full of the Spirit, the Spirit coming upon him at baptism. But he chose, we can say, well, that was Jesus, you know, fully God, fully man. But Philippians tells us that God made a decision. Jesus made a choice to empty out his divinity, to give us a model. This is what a spirit-filled man looks like. So don't ever come back and say, can't do it. You were God. You had an advantage. No, no, no. I leveled the playing field. I emptied myself of divinity, filled myself with the same spirit that's now available to you. That's why Jesus could say, greater things than these you shall do. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. This is why he can make these. This is why all of these things are in this Bible. So Jesus did this as a model for you and for me to be able to follow. Emptied himself. But the question for us, we hate empty so bad. Let me ask you a question. Can you get happy today about being empty? We are terrified of empty. My Lord. I mean, we get a little, I mean, we get a little twinge in our stomach after about 90 minutes. I'm going to die. I'm hungry. I need food. Where's the donut? You know how children are. Especially, you know, if they get to be teenagers, they come waddling in about every 15 minutes. Food! I'm dying. Starving. They're not just hungry, they're starving. You ever notice that? And so we begin to feel this little bit of pang, and we think something's wrong. This, and so we're terrified of this empty. We're terrified of getting to a place where there's some real need in our life. And yet it's our inability that's always the invitation for God's availability. God will wait for us to get to the end of ourselves before he ever even shows up. And one of the many preludes for God's power is our weakness. That's why Paul, he said, I delight in my weaknesses. I delight in those things that shows Christ's strength. And yet you and I, we, we don't brag about the things we're bad at. Oh, Pastor Robert, you know, I'm the worst golfer in the world, man. <laughs> I tell you what, my golf scores are like most people's bowling scores. I'm lousy at that. I'm a lousy cook. I'm a la- we, don't, we don't brag about that stuff. We're too insecure for one thing. We want to feel good about us, and we want all the people to feel good about us. So we tend to have somewhat of an inflated testimony about ourselves. And yet, as it involves God, God's looking down like, really? Really? I mean, you can't get real with me. I mean, I'm waiting to step in and, 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 and be God here. 
And yet, you're still trying to be all that. I went. And we think we're empty many times. Oh, we think we are. You know, men and women have different ideas about empty. I've learned that. The automobile. I mean, the fuel gauge begins to touch the orange. And my wife's like, we need gas in the car. Men, on the other hand, we begin to ask a series of diagnostic questions. <laughs> Is the light on? How long has the light been on? And so then, men, we begin to move into the realm of some higher calculations. We're thinking about, well, I know when the light comes on, I still got three gallons and 16 miles a gallon, 48 miles. I ought to be good for about 45, 50 miles. Oh, you're good, baby. Go ahead. You know it to be true? I mean, you look down in your cell phone and at 20%, little sign comes up, low battery. Changes from green to yellow and the little thing up there. And then at 10%, the boys from Cupertino have built in low, your battery, low battery, 10%. They tell you again at 5%, 5%, low battery. We're still watching our kitty cat videos on YouTube, and we think we're going to watch those forever. Then the next thing you know, our screen goes dark. We begin to curse the apple gods at that point because they have somehow failed us. No, 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 no. They've been telling you. They've been telling you, you need to go get charged. Your car has been telling you it needs fuel. Do you not think God might have wired something in you and in me? In our soul and in our spirit? I mean, if our cars and our phones can figure it out, don't you think maybe God's put something on the inside of you and on the inside of me that was similarly say, empty? Now, here's the problem is, once we get empty, do we put the right thing in there? That's a whole nother sermon. I wish I had time to preach that one, but I don't. I mean, we, find, we, we pretty much figure out that we don't take our iPhone to a gas pump. Hello? You don't? You know, I mean, and we fill it up with the right thing, which takes me to my second point, is being filled. Ephesians 5 says, be careful how you live. But it says, be filled with the Spirit. At the end of this passage of Scripture, be filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus telling his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised. What was that gift? In a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, in our Pentecostal and charismatic orientation, many times we begin to use words like baptized and the Holy Spirit and gifts, and we immediately, we leap to 1 Corinthians 12, and we talk about those nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, which... We believe here at Grace Covenant Church, we exercise. However, could I submit to you that we're not just talking about reducing the need to be filled with the Spirit with the exercise of a spiritual gift on occasion. I'm talking about this is how now we practice our walk with God is by being filled with the Spirit. This is how we become God-aware. We use terms many times in our Christian world, like, I'm walking with God. Really? Use that term with an unbeliever sometime. They're going to have you committed. Walking with God. Really? What does he look like? How fast does he walk? What kind of shoes does he wear? 
I mean, think about it. We, we throw the word around like we know what it means, but how do you walk with God? By the Spirit. That's why it says in Galatians 5.25, then keep in step with what? With the Spirit. Jesus is, Jesus is seated by, with the Father. The Father is in heaven. The way we relate to God now is what? By his Spirit living on the inside of you and me. So being filled. But then that process that once we are as full as we know how to be, then it's filled and fulfilled by Christ and empowered by his spirit. John 16, Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he'll guide you into all truth. And could I submit to you that this all truth is inclusive of all the truth as it involves not just revelation and destiny for your life, but all truth as it involves the commandments and the law by which to live, if we are indeed walking with the Spirit. He goes on and says in verse 15, All that belongs to the Father is mine. It's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. See, this is what it means when God lives through you rather than you trying to live for God. Let me say God really appreciates our efforts. He really does. But the reality is you can't do it. You can't. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Someone said it very succinctly. The secret to the Christian life is that you can't live it. The secret to the Christian life is that God has to live it, what? Through you. Hear me. I don't know about you, but this gives me great hope. Because I know, like Paul was writing in Romans, I know how messed up I am. I know the tension and the conflict that I live in my own life. And it's not ignorance of the law. It's not ignorance of the fact of what God's called me to be or called me to do. It's a simply a matter of discipline, volition, all of the things that keep you and me many times so earthbound because I've been trying to do it on my own. Fulfilled. The law gets perfectly fulfilled as we are able to do it in and by the Spirit. When my wife was a teenager, she asked her father about a particular thing and whether she could do X, Y, and Z. My wife was raised in a Christian household. My father-in-law told her, said, honey, you can do anything you want to do as long as it's not sin." Now, you were a teenager one time. Most of you would have taken that as some pretty big license. But you know, the wisdom in that statement that he made, he was calling on the Holy Spirit inside of, that, of, of my wife. Yeah. Of, you know what, honey? I could give you the listicle. I could give you the curfew times. I could give you the do's and the don't do's. However, yeah. I want you to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I want you to figure out for yourself what sin is. Now, let me just tell you, there's some knuckleheaded folk out there. Are you with me? 
who are spiritually dull and ain't listening, they need some law. My, I was raised in a non-Christian household. And you can say, yeah, well, we can see that. <laughs> but my dad told me something very similar. Had no idea the wisdom of it. He said, son, you can do whatever you want to do as long as if I walk in, you wouldn't be embarrassed. Now I think, well, there goes my good times for my entire high school career. Great. Daddy's going to show up. And yet, think about it for a moment. Think about it. Daddy's showing up. Would you be embarrassed if Daddy showed up when you were at the club? Peeking over your shoulder at your computer? Would you be embarrassed if Daddy showed up? Wow. You see, again, to fellowship sin is to disfellowship God. It's real simple. And so many times we live our life asking permission, asking forgiveness rather than permission. Oh, I know God will forgive me. I mean, it's real vogue right now. Greasy grace. Let me just tell you, it's been out there. This is not a new heresy. I didn't do anything I want to do because it's foreordained that I would do it, and Jesus has forgiven me anyway, therefore. It's an old heresy. Let me tell you, if you really understand the grace of God, you won't abuse it like that. Your appreciation for what God did for you on the cross, you, won't need to, you, you will not want to expend any more of that precious blood than necessary when you fully understand what it really cost. But I believe there's a better way. And it was foreshadowed in Jeremiah chapter 31. And I'll close with this. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I'll put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. There it is. On their minds and their hearts. But God's doing it supernaturally. I'll be their God, they'll be my people. And no longer will a man teach his neighbor the list. Or a man, his brother, saying, know the Lord, because they'll all know me. What have I said, saints? Filled and fulfilled. We have a choice. The law was intended to do something very specific. The law was intended to be a guardian. It was intended to be a measurement by which sin could be revealed in our life. But Jesus always had a different, uh, it's why he referred to it as a better covenant, a new covenant. Because he intended for it to be lived in the life and the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture says, find out what pleases the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you, if you're living a life not trying to please yourself, but truly trying to please God, sin's not going to be much of a problem. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. Consider a marriage for a moment. Husbands, if you're trying to live this marriage on the basis of what you think that woman should be doing for you, it's no wonder that you're constantly in Pastor Danelle's office. But let me just tell you, you switch that around a little bit. And husbands, you figure out, how can I serve love and please this woman in a way that reflects Christ in the church? Let me just tell you, I don't care how imperfect she is or you are or what it's been in the past. You begin to change that motivation from you to her, all of a sudden your marriage is going to get better. 
All the women say, dang right, listen to that man. Do you not think that somehow if we begin to live our life away from some, some of the, the, the me and the narcissistic, and if I do this, then I, I get this, if we were to begin to shift our motivation and our emphasis away from this is about me to somehow this has always been about God, change our orientation to find out what pleases him. And you can only do that which pleases him by what? By the Spirit. God will tell us. This is what pleases me. This is what is acceptable. It's why Jesus in his encounter with the woman at the well, for a time is coming where the Father will seek worshipers who will worship in what? In spirit and in truth. What is that? It means that we're going to find out what spiritual worship is. And it's not the little Hebrew hop that we do to Robert's songs. But worship will become an extension of everything that we do in our life to say, God, let this be an offering. Let this be worship. God, let me change the orientation of my life to me, to you. Let me just tell you, when you get that right, you're not going to have to worry about 613 points to keep up with. You'll find out what pleases the Lord. Amen? Pray with me. Lord, thank you that you've given us a way to do this. You didn't just give us the rules and say, get it done. See you sometime. But God, you moved in. You sent your very son that we would have life and life more abundantly. You sent your spirit as the son went back to be with the father. To empower us, remind us of everything that Jesus did. Said. Lord, today we acknowledge our absolute depravity and emptiness with, before you. God, we pour out anything that we think, that we have, that we know, that we can be freshly filled. That story in 2 Kings 4 of the dear woman, son's about to be sold into slavery. As long as there were empty vessels in the house, oil miraculously kept flowing. But once the vessels were full, the oil stopped. Lord, let us stay rightly empty that we can continue to be filled to overflowing. And God, thank you that to the extent that we can be filled, God, your law can be perfectly fulfilled in our life as we truly walk and live by the Spirit.